You're listening to Moody Radio 89.3. This is Mornings with Eric and Bridget. Well, when we say new age, what comes to mind? Maybe images of hippies at Woodstock or maybe images even from the 90s. But in what ways is the current progressive Christian church similar to the new age movement? And how is it infiltrating our churches today. We're talking about that with Elisa Childers, who's going to be speaking more broadly on it at the Kingdom Come Conference on March 14th through the 17th, happening at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Elisa, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm looking at a, a blog you did in 2018. I, this isn't anything recent. You've been dealing with this for a while, and we've, as a church, have been dealing with this for a while, but it seems like it has heightened here in the last few years, like the last couple years almost. Am I, am I wrong in that? No, I think you're right. In fact, I think you can really trace it back to 2015 and some research that was done on the uh, average American teenager. So these weren't even Christian kids, but they discovered that the average Christian teenager believed that God was basically not all that imminently involved in their life, but that he existed and that he wanted them to be good and nice to each other. And he's not really going to tell them what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. But if they need help, you know, he'll help them out. They can pray to him. So the the phrase therapeutic moralistic deism was coined. And that represented the views of American teenagers in 2015. Well, fast forward to now, and they're all adults. And you have this whole worldview of I'm spiritual, but not religious. And and it's, it's made its way into the church as well. And what do people mean when they say that? Well, they can mean anything, and, and many of our listeners might recognize this on social media. Maybe you have a friend who puts a Bible verse on Instagram one day, and you think, oh, they, maybe they're a Christian. And then the next day, it's some uh, maybe some positive affirmations, and maybe the next day, it's a quote from uh, Gandhi, and then maybe the next day, it's them with a picture of some crystals, and then the next day, it's another Bible verse. And it's very confusing, because you're thinking, well, what, what do they actually believe? And so in the new spirituality, it's kind of like New Age Repackaged. But it's, it's, it's a self-made, kind of custom-made salad bar religion where you kind of take bits and pieces from different religious worldviews and you cobble them together to, to make something that you feel like works for you. Because we're, we're honestly not living in a time where atheism is the, you know, in fashion. In fact, what I'm even seeing in the deconstruction movement is that it's less fashionable to be a hard atheist because that's kind of closed-minded. You, you've kind of landed on something that you're sure about, whereas it's more popular to be broadly spiritual, maybe agnostic. You know, the word religion, I, you know, I, I hate religion, you hear that, or re- religion is, is evil, or we need to get away from religion, whatever it is. But I think it's it's people's understanding or explanation of it that's the problem. I mean, if we go back into the Old Testament, even the Lord set up rules and and you know festivals and and times and seasons and things we needed to do and things we couldn't do and all that was part of this. I mean, I, I think people are are balking at a lot of that. But religion isn't really the problem. It's it's our understanding of what we're supposed to be religious about, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it all actually comes down to the word truth. So most people in our culture, they approach religion as if it's sort of this this practical thing that you just find what works for you. And if it makes you feel good, if it gives you peace in your life, if you lower your stress level and your blood pressure, then that's what your religion should be. Because our culture doesn't think religion is based on absolute truth. I mean, they'll go to the bank and they'll expect their money to be there. They don't live as if absolute truth doesn't exist in every area. But when it comes to religion, 
and morality, our culture has really relegated that more to the category of, say, what would be your favorite flavor of ice cream or your favorite dessert or your favorite restaurant or the kind of what you might order for dinner, your favorite color. And so when Christians come around to to a culture that believes that way and we say, no, actually, Jesus said you have to go through him to get to God and he died on the cross for your sins and you must put faith in him to be saved from hell, you know, a, a watching world thinks, well, gosh, that sounds so um, just invasive and almost like an attack because they don't see religion as being in that category. So it would, it would be almost like if, if you said, well, I, you know, my favorite flavor of ice cream is Rocky Road and someone coming along saying, well, that's incorrect. And you'd you think, well, that's weird. That's my opinion. But that's because our culture has put religion and morality, too, in that category of opinion. Hmm. And so often we hear that it comes down to what you say about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus. But even in the progressive Christian thought process, there you said there is an acceptance of Jesus, but a denial of the key part, which is his blood atonement. So can you talk about how maybe this new age progressive Christian thought process does accept a version of Jesus, but maybe not his whole picture? Right. Well, and that that is one thing that this new spirituality and even new age has in common with progressive Christianity. And and frankly, just about every religion has a space for Jesus. He, he makes it his way into all the other worldviews, which is very interesting. But yeah, so in progressive Christianity, um, of course, they call themselves, quote unquote, Christians because they claim to follow Christ. But it's a very different Jesus than the one we find in the Bible. And so uh, in this blog post that you're talking about, I, I quote uh, Michael Gunger, who, of course, was is a part of the band Gunger, and he and his wife Lisa have deconstructed. And he refers to uh, the idea that God would require a blood sacrifice for sin. He calls this horrific. And, and then, of course, Rob Bell, in his book, uh, I believe it was in Love Wins, he talks about you know, the only reason we think that we have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins as some kind of a blood atonement is because people in the first century, they were just looking around at pagan cultures, and they saw that they were sacrificing to their gods. And so the Christians just sort of, was they were kind of grasping at straws to make the death of Jesus fit into that narrative. But that's really not the way God is, and that's not what he would require. And so in progressive Christianity, they're, they're going to have a theology of the cross, but it's, it's going to deny the idea that God the Father would require the blood sacrifice of Jesus in order to make uh, atonement for our sins and to reconcile us to God. And it's the same in the New Age and in this new spirituality. They'll make sense of Jesus. In fact, there's something called the universal Christ that is now crossing you know, from the New Age into progressive Christianity, where Christ consciousness or the universal Christ is sort of this cosmic reality that Jesus as a man fully embraced and laid hold of. And so we can do that, too, in this view of universal Christ. You can be like Jesus and fully lay hold of this universal Christ consciousness. And so it lowers the idea of the deity of Jesus, and it elevates our ability to become little Christs ourselves. In fact, in this worldview, and in many in progressive Christianity who believe this, would actually say, it's okay to say, I am Christ, because I have fully embraced this Christ consciousness. Mm. How... A parent, a grandparent, um, someone going through this with their their child. How do you encourage them? If this, if we're getting real practical, how do you encourage them to pray for their child? Hmm. Well, I think the first thing we can do is is 
pray, right? I mean, I think that's the thing to do is I think a lot of times we feel powerless or maybe there's tension in the relationship. And so in, in my new book about deconstruction, because all of this is related to this phenomenon we're seeing online of deconstruction where people are rethinking their beliefs, but they're not using the Bible as a standard. They're not even using absolute truth as a standard. They're using their own hearts. And I think that's what we're broadly seeing in the movement. And if that's the case, because of the denial of truth and the idea that this is more just like your favorite flavor of ice cream, a lot of people have decided that Christian beliefs are toxic. And so they've probably decided that you are a toxic person. It's not just that I disagree with you. I actually think you're harmful because of your Christian beliefs. And so in the book, what we talk about is that if that's the case, if there's tension in the relationship, it's really okay to back off a little bit. Um, Don't try to fix their theology over coffee because this didn't happen over coffee. And what you can do is, is just try to maintain the relationship and pray and pray specifically that their eyes will be opened to the nature of truth. Because if they don't even believe that truth exists and can be known when it comes to questions about God, well, then it's going to be very difficult to convince them that Christianity is true. And so I think praying specifically that they will awaken to the idea of absolute truth. And there's clever ways we can go about conversation with them in that as well. But also, this is going to be a, a work of the Holy Spirit as well, and just is pray that the Holy Spirit moves in your loved one's life to draw them unto Himself, and in the meantime, live the beauty of the gospel out in front of them. Let them see the peace of Jesus that you have. You talked about the uh, people who are deconstructing are not using you know, the Bible as their standard, but more or less their feelings. And is that why maybe the, having a Christian belief set of a belief system is seen as harmful? Because hmm. now it's it's not what I feel. You're There's something outside of me that is absolute. And that seems to come against what I want to believe. So is that why it's deemed harmful? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think what you often see in the deconstruction movement, and by the way, some people use the word deconstruction to mean reforming my beliefs to scripture, but that's really the minority. The way it's, it's so we're in the book, we're saying that's good. You should reform your beliefs according to scripture, but let's call that something else. But in the movement, what we are seeing is this idea of toxic theology. And honestly, they don't care where you land. They don't care if you land in Buddhism or secular humanism or progressive Christianity, as long as you leave these quote unquote toxic beliefs. And so what toxic beliefs are, are any claim of a sort of authority over the person. I don't mean like some pastor claiming to have authority over a person, but saying that the Bible is your authority or that, um, you know, there are these doctrines that are truth, that are truth, that they're true whether you believe them or not. And so a lot of it has to do with biblical sexuality, um, any sort of claim of judgment or hell. In fact, you will see this all over this community where people will say, well, the church just invented the doctrine of hell to control people with fear or uh, teaching people that uh, substitutionary atonement, you know, in other words, blood atonement is true, is abusive or telling people they're sinners is abusive. You'll see that all over the hashtag as well. And so they don't care where you land as long as you leave what they deem to be toxic beliefs. And it turns out that virtually every core point of the gospel, including Christian ethics, is seen as toxic. And I guess that's a call for the church to just continue on. I mean, there is the need to uh, continue to preach the word as it is, as it has been given to us. And I guess many times we're trying to shy away from that as a church, but we need to press on even harder, I would think, correct? 
Yeah, there's absolutely no way for us to communicate our beliefs in a way that's not going to offend at least someone. In fact, when I go speak, this is one of the number one questions I'll receive is somebody will get up and say, well, how can I communicate biblical sexuality in a way that doesn't offend anyone? And basically what I say is, is you can't. You will offend somebody. But what I, what I really want us to think about is what Paul said. When Paul said, we spread the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, and to those who are being saved, it smells like life. But to those who are perishing, it smells like death. And that's what the gospel does. When you live as a real Christian, and I'm not, and of course I'm saying do it in the most loving way possible, of course. But when you live as a real Christian with the, the whole thing, with the ethics and the theology, you are going to have a smell to everybody. And to some people, you're going to smell really good. Those people, God is calling, and they smell that truth, and they're like, oh, I, I think I want to know more about this. You're going to smell really good. But to those who already hate God and His ways and His Word, you're going to stink like a rotting corpse. And I think it's time for us in the American church to get comfortable with that idea, because we've kind of coasted on um, the the basically Judeo-Christian values our country was founded on until very recently, and that is changing rapidly. And now we're joining uh, most of the saints in church history who have not had that luxury and but but we know we have the same Holy Spirit and we have the same Word of God. And so I think we just need to get comfortable with the idea that we are going to elicit a reaction in people when we live as real Christians. Well, you're going to hear so much more about how to do exactly that for such a time as this at the Kingdom Come Conference. It's happening at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, March 14th through the 17th. And Alyssa will be one of the speakers there, but there are many others, including Sean McDowell, Tim Debo, uh, helping us to be equipped to stand for Christ in this world. Alyssa, well, thank you so much for um, your perspective, wisdom on this uh, from God's Word. We appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It is uh, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock. Again, if you want to find out more about the event, head to our community calendar or our website, ericandbridget.org or moodyradio.org slash South Florida, and then click into that community calendar. We also have a link to Elisa's blog where she talks a lot about apologetics and helps us understand how we can communicate Christ in this world where, you know, truth is so relative, right? But how do we stand on God's Word as the absolute truth? Her website is a great place to go for help with that. Eric and Bridget.org is where you can go.